Welcome to Trinity Radio. I'm Braxton Hunter, and uh, last week, my regular co-host Jonathan Pritchett said that we wouldn't be here today, and he's right. We wouldn't be, but I would be, and I would be here with someone else in his stead. And that person is uh, a philosopher that I've gotten to know uh, a little bit online, but then in person at the Capturing Christianity Conference a couple of years ago. And um, I had your bio all set up to read. Uh, let me just bring her on. Liz, uh-oh, hold on just a second. Uh, I'm having trouble here. Tech problems already. Uh, let's see. I'm just going to have to add you to this screen. We'll just do it this way. Oh, hey, okay. Liz, this is Liz Jackson, famous philosopher and atheist famous, slayer but... or something. <laughs> something like that. I don't know. <laughs> Sh anyway, share with us a little bit. Me. Well, sure. Share with yeah. us a little bit about your background, because I do know that you yeah. um, have when I first met you, I think you were in Australia and now you're in Toronto. So share a little bit about yep. yourself. For sure. So I'm from Kansas originally. I went to Kansas State for undergrad, um, majored in philosophy. We can talk more about all of that if people are interested at some point. But uh, to make it quick, then I went on and did my PhD in philosophy at Notre Dame uh, in Indiana. And then, you know, it's funny you mentioned Canada and Australia. I actually applied for 100 jobs. I think 95% of them were in the US and then I ended up getting like the two jobs that were not. So I wasn't necessarily <laughs> intentionally trying to leave the US, but Toronto is actually really cool. It's a fun city. It's really big, lots to do, um, a little too cold, but you know, it is what it is. You can't have it all. So um, right now I teach philosophy at Toronto Metropolitan University. Um, so it's a actually pretty large public university in Toronto. I don't know exactly, but something like 50,000 students. So it's a decent size. Mm. Um, and yeah, the main things, actually, I both teach and research kind of the same topics. So um, epistemology and then philosophy of religion. So, you know, epistemology, knowledge, rational belief, really interested in, you know, beliefs, evidence, all that kind of thing. And then in philosophy of religion, most of my work is on the rationality of religious commitment. And Pascal's Wager, our topic today is like a very big kind of topic within that topic. So, um, you know, under what circumstances is it rational to, you know, either believe in God or commit to God? Um, and yeah, like the the title of this this stream, what if you're not 100% sure, what should you do then? So um, we can talk more about all of that, but I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I I've, there's a church in Toronto. I really like Toronto. There's a church there that I speak at once a year, usually oh. in a, uh, outside of Toronto, a place called Markham. Does that sound familiar? Markham? Yeah, yeah. I've, yeah, I've heard of Markham. I, yep. I really like uh, I really like the city, and uh, it was surprising to me to hear that a lot of big budget blockbuster action movies filmed there uh, instead mm. of somewhere like you know New York City. All, you know, like the Avengers, you might think they're in New York, but they're in Toronto or something. You know, is is what I actually I've heard. didn't know but, that. Yeah, that's so that's all really right. Let's let's yeah. jump into this. Already, <laughs> you've got some fans here. Slam RN says, "Howdy, Aww. Liz, with the best Pascal's wager arguments," and uh, some <laughs> some other people excited to see you. And yes, someone said, "I see that you're rocking that what do you meme shirt." I am, but nice. uh, all right. Nice. So, Liz. Um, for those that don't know, and I'm going to let you do a, a much more thorough explanation or whatever you want to say that, that you think best familiarizes people. And, and yeah, someone reminds me, I do have your full bio in the description as you present it so people can look there, mm -hmm. as well as an article 
that you have written and sent to me that I found very, very helpful to kind of give you a spread on what goes on with Pascal's wager. But if you've ever heard someone say something like, well, listen, it's safer to believe than not to believe because, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to die and go to hell. And there's this, uh, perfect heaven for you waiting. And so if, if it's between, let's just say if it was between atheism and Christianity, well, you'd, you'd be safer to bet on Christianity. Of course, then all kinds of questions arise from that. But I think it's a good one to talk about because it's not the typical sort of things that come up um, when we're thinking of putting together these big arguments for the truth of God's existence or a resurrection case. It's more pragmatic. And uh, and, but I do think a lot of yeah. people have some small amount of exposure because it has been in pop culture. And a lot of us heard our pastors or church people obliquely reference something like this when we were uh, growing up, if we grew up in church. So, um, but, but I do think it can help. And so Liz, uh, what do you, where do you want to take it from here? Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, I think you've kind of summarized the basic wager and um, you can almost just look at it as like in this two by two matrix, you can um, believe or commit to God or not believe or commit to God. Those are like the two kind of actions you can take. And then there's like, God exists, God doesn't exist. And, you know, this is a really basic form and there's probably going to be some complications we need to introduce as we start thinking about objections. But when you just kind of look at it in that two by two matrix, it's like, look, well, if you believe in God and God exists, things look really good for you. You get heaven, you get a relationship with God. Um, that's really, really awesome. Um, if you believe in God and God does not exist, or wait, let's start with, sorry, I need to go the other way first. So you believe in God and God exists. And then there's you um, believe in God, sorry, don't believe in God and God exists. And that's where things don't look so good, right? Like there's this God that you're totally not aware of. Um, we can debate about, you know, hell afterlife stuff. That seems like an important consideration to think about. But also there's just this, this, this being, this loving, good creator that you never have a relationship with. Like that's not the best outcome either. Um, so, you know, believe in God, God exists. Believe in God, God doesn't exist. Not so good. And then if God doesn't exist, it's like, Either way, what, what happens is going to be finite. And so you kind of just look at this really basic sort of cost-benefit analysis, and it seems like there's a reason to believe in God. <laughs> um, yeah. And so I think, you know, you're, you're right to point out, like, things are much simpler if we just take Christianity and atheism. And I will say, just as a historical note, I think that's where Pascal was kind of coming at things. He thought, look, um, I'll give these arguments for Christianity that kind of say, look, if a religion is true, Christianity is going to be that religion. Some of them, his arguments were from fulfilled prophecy and various things. So, you know, not necessarily saying those are totally convincing, but if we can give this argument for Christianity so that it's the most likely religion, or if a religion is true, Christianity is true, then I actually think, look, yeah, um, seems like this is a decent reason to be a Christian rather than an atheist. Um, if we can't give that argument for Christianity or we just don't include that in, you know, kind of what we're reasoning about, we will need to kind of think about how other religions fit into this. And, um, you know, we've talked about this. I've talked about this a lot on, on other shows on YouTube. But basically what I say is, well, look, if we don't start with an argument for a certain religion or for Christianity, then what you should do is wager on the religion you think is most likely to be true. Um, and so that's kind of how I answer this objection about what about all these other religions? Um, we'll pick the one that's most likely to be true in the same way you're going to, uh, if you have a choice between different probabilities of getting some really good thing you want, you're going to like 
take the the way that's most likely to get you that thing you want. If you're going to your favorite restaurant and Google Maps gives you five routes and you want to get there as soon as possible, we'll take the route that's most likely to get you there as soon as possible. You know, so it's that kind of basic principle, basic reasoning. Yeah. Um, so, but I think so, a lot of people, yeah, give that many gods objections. So we'll we'll get that one out of the way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So so yeah. To to make sure I'm with you and everyone's with you, you're saying. Like, yeah, if you just had, like you say, Christianity and atheism, it might be a little simpler. There's not so much to wrangle with. But if someone brought an objection and said, hold on, you're saying err on the side of caution in this cost-benefit analysis, and yet Islam's over here, and it's got a, a, a similar uh, setup, at least in principle. And so, and there could be other religions. And so how can I ever know that I'm erring on the side of caution or, or choosing the best in my uh, risk assessment? Um, uh, and, and you're saying, well, that's where you can kind of sidestep some of that or, or address some of that by just saying, well, look, it's not as though we have no arguments for the truth of Christianity or if you're a Muslim for Islam. Uh, it's that it's just it's, so that can do some of the work to cull away some of the other religions. And of course, we would say um, Christianity does the best job of standing up to those things, or at least I say that as an apologist. So yeah. um, so. So that's where we're at right now. And that's one of the biggest objections that almost always comes up with this. Um, and so yeah. that's kind of interesting. You, you dealt with that one right away. So, so yeah, wh where would you yeah. move forward on this? Yeah, um, I think another big objection sort of has to do with belief. So what is um, the wager kind of saying about what we should believe? Um, and, and maybe here's like, here's two ways to make that more specific. So first of all, is Pascal's wager telling us that we can just believe something for just because it's beneficial to us? Is that even possible? So Braxton, if I gave you a bunch of money to believe one plus one equals three, um, you know, arguably it'd be pretty hard to do that. So you can't just form a belief because it's beneficial. Um, so that's just like a matter of like our psychology, right? But then when we think about rationality, that maybe leads us to a second part. So if you somehow kind of like finagle yourself and really just brainwash yourself into believing one plus one equals three, you get the money. Okay, maybe cool, you have some money now, but like your belief's not rational, you know? You don't um, know how much money you have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You That's can't true. do the math on the money, but that, that does yeah, bring up kind yeah. of a question. And I know I said that we were going to try to, um, you know, you don't know who you're going to hit because we have people who are kind of new to this stuff and people who have our philosophy and theology geeks and stuff yeah. like that. But when, you know, we're talking about here, what has sometimes been referred to as direct voluntarism. Like, can I just choose to believe that in the room with me right now that where I can see really well, can I just choose to believe there's a pink elephant holding a martini glass? Well, the, the intuitive response is, well, no, I can't. I mean, I, I just can't. I, and and yeah. so like you have people mention, OK, but you could either you, you could maybe not with an extreme example like that, but maybe you could put yourself in a setting where you take in information that would lead you to naturally arrive uh, indirect doxastic voluntarism or something at a conclusion. Yeah. But the question I really have is. Um, I've heard I've, I've I've heard people say this and I've thought a lot about it. So when it comes to that idea, not that this really has much at all to do with what we're talking about today, but uh, it, when it comes to my decision to or my uh, choice or my disposition about the elephant or my belief about the elephant in the room, uh, in one sense, it feels like it is true that I can decide to believe in that. I can decide to ha to um, I, I could decide I'm going to hold that belief. The problem is I just can't deliver to myself on that 
by actually making myself believe. Is that a meaningful thing to say? Mm. Yeah, like, I mean, what you're saying, you can you can do your, your darndest. You can try your darndest to, to make yourself come to believe that. Um, and I mean, it kind of relates to the maybe the indirect thing. You can um, put yourself in certain situations to make it more likely that you'll cultivate the belief. Um, and, um, you know, like I said, try your best. I think, I mean, I think that's a, a very legitimate you know, way we could frame the wager is like, even if you can't just make yourself believe in God, you could try. And I think a, a kind of related response is, well, what if it's not, what if it's not a belief exactly, but it's like a commitment to God and maybe a commitment to do something that might eventually lead to a belief. But right now it's just a commitment to pray and read scripture and, you know, participate in a religious community and, and do these various things um, that might make it more likely you'll believe, but kind of just like expose yourself to to religion, to arguments for religion, um, to people that are religious and kind of and, and give that give that a chance, sort of see how it goes. It's almost like an experiment in a way. But um, I think in a lot of cases, doing that kind of thing and, and really being open minded to it um, is not only valuable itself, but actually can can lead to the belief. So I think I think that's important. I mean, maybe kind of circling back to the indirect thing, but what yeah. would you say uh, to someone who characterizes what you just said? So like we've got Pascal's wager here or some version of a wager argument uh, or point or case or quadrillion or whatever you say. And we've got we've got that in front of us. And you say, well, look, um, if you if if you would like to believe this, you see the positive pragmatic reasons to believe this what you're describing sounds more like fake it till you make it, or is that maybe true, mm. but just an unfair or a loaded characterization of it? Yeah. I mean, here, maybe here's another way of putting the objection before I answer it. Are you just engaging in some kind of confirmation bias where you're just kind of forcing yourself to look at certain kinds of evidence for theism or for Christianity um, to try to force yourself to believe instead of kind of like laying everything out on the table and looking at it all equally and, uh, you know, doing this like epistemically rational, beautiful thing where you just look at the evidence and just weigh it and and decide what's most likely, you know, or whatever. Yeah. Um, and yeah, no, I think this is a good objection. So there's a couple things to say. And I think maybe the most important thing to say is that none of us are ever doing that with evidence with respect to almost any topic that we're looking at, like, especially not topics as controversial as religion, but also politics and morality and, you know, various things like it's very rare that we're actually sitting back and objectively kind of looking at all the evidence and who we hang out with and what who we follow on Twitter, what books we're reading, what news sources. we're looking at. I mean, mm. all of that is affecting our beliefs about these things. And, and none of us are just these perfect, objective um, you know, people that, that look at the evidence and then just say, oh, it supports this and then just believe that. Like, that's just unrealistic. Um, and I think, I mean, maybe it means we're all a little bit irrational in some way, or maybe that means the bar for rationality is too high, but like, we're not, that, like, looking at evidence that way, I think just isn't realistic. And I think we're all coming at the evidence with certain views, preconceptions, and we're all in, probably engaging in a little bit of confirmation bias when we do that. And so, um, you know, I don't necessarily think that coming at the evidence as an atheist is going to make you less biased than coming at it, you know, wanting to be a theist or at least even open to the possibility of theism. And, 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 and I think along these lines, too, you don't necessarily have to say the only way to take Pascal's wager is try to force yourself into a belief no matter what. But you can take it as a, a call to just 
really open-mindedly and seriously look at the evidence for Christianity and try to be around Christians, try to, you know, read actually the really good books um, that, you know, defending Christianity and not just, you know, the crappy ones or, or straw manning or whatever. And, um, and, and, you know, I so I think like there's different ways we can put the wager, but we don't have to look at it as this confirmation bias thing anyway. You know, so. I think a good example of maybe maybe you can speak to this. A good example of someone who has tried to fulfill those kind of things would be your former debating partner, Alex O'Connor. Mm. Um, Alex. Yeah went to went through went for a theology degree at a prestigious school and uh, uh, lived my understanding is lived or lives with Christians has taken part in Christian worship as a way to immerse himself in this and and whatever happens with him I agree I think that's uh, a wonderful thing to do and then just as a kind of a theological point um, Christianity is is uh, much about community and uh, a, a corporate group you know, taking care of each other. And there's something about, there's something that can ring true to us, maybe, maybe if only intuitively when you're in a setting like that. And I think that's valuable too. Absolutely. And, and no, and I agree um, for sure. I think that's a really great thing to do. And a thing that a lot of us should do, I think. In, and at the same time, maybe the flip side of this is like, you're asking too much of Pascal's wager and you're thinking it's, it's going to do too much if it's just going to, automatically convince every single person in the world uh, that Christianity is true no matter what. I mean, that's just not really what the argument's intending to do or supposed to do. I think it, it makes us take religion really seriously. I think for some of us, um, if we're in a place where we think the evidence is really ambiguous, like, yeah, maybe Christianity is true, maybe not, I'm kind of 50-50. I mean, I think it could, it could cause that person to take the leap and go ahead and believe. But I do think it, it is going to be a more complicated case of the person that 99.999% sure in their atheism and then encounters the wager. I still think it should move them to do things, but the claim isn't that it's just going to convince them to believe Christianity right away or require them to believe Christianity right away. So I think it's worth clarifying that too. It's not necessarily, um, you know, some people think maybe it's trying to prove more than it's more than it is trying to prove. Um, and, and I mean, another thing related to this, too, is it's not an argument for God's existence. Some people, that's a common misconception. They think, oh, Pascal's wager is going to give us evidence for God or establish a God. No, it's not trying to do that at all. It's it's an argument about how you should believe or what or how you should act. It's an argument about what you should do. So it concludes you should commit to God or you should wager on God, not that God exists. So I think that's a, another kind of important clarification as well. Yeah, and if that sounds complex to anyone, it just goes back to the original. It's, it's a it's a cost or a risk benefit analysis kind of thing. So, um, all right. Well, what? Absolutely. So, so if I'm so if I'm a person here who's fifty fifty, you said that was like we have this perfect agnostic here, and um, yeah. you you're you're talking to me about this, and and um, I raise you know sort of this. Okay, you're giving me this pragmatic thing that's telling me that it's. I, I think about um, uh, Bill Maher had uh, Tim McGraw on one time. I probably mentioned this the last time you were on. And he was at, and Bill Maher asked him, look, you're, you're a reasonably smart guy. Why are you into all this Christianity stuff? And Tim McGraw's answer was, well, Bill, I'll tell you, just in case. And, of course, I think that sometimes people hear that when they think about Pascal's wager. It's like, oh, yeah, just in case. Well, come on, that's not an intellectually rigorous way of going about things. But of course, you may want to speak to that. But then also, um, I, I don't, you know, it'd be fun to get into some of the like, um, like infinite 
uh, turnouts and how that plays into things, because there are some interesting questions here in a moment that we'll get to eventually that uh, play on that a little bit. And I think would be fun to talk about. So um, do you want to speak to that? Right. You want to go ahead and speak to some of the more difficult uh, challenges to this, maybe maybe some that are not as popular. Sure. Can I say the just in case thing really quick? Um, just on that point, I think like there's different ways of kind of like care, like making a caricature of the wager. And I think it kind of raises this worry that's like, is is this really a good reason to commit to God or to believe in God? Like, does this kind of like mean the person has questionable motives? And I think in response to that, I'll just say like two things. One, like, of course, you can take Pascal's wager with bad motives. It's just too broad of an argument to say everyone who does something like wagering always has good motives. But so that's the concessive point. The less concessive point is I think there's a very natural way of taking Pascal's wager, which is like, look, what if God exists? What if there's this good, powerful creator who loves me and, you know, if Christianity is true, died for me um, and, you know, wants to have this this connection or relationship with me. Like, what if that is true? Even if it's unlikely to be true, that's something I should I should want. That's something I should pursue. And so if I pursue that and there is this good creator, that would be that would be awesome. That'd be a really, really good outcome. Right. And so that outcome itself is kind of what's motivating, I think, the wagerer with 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 noble motives um, to to pursue God, to pursue belief in God, to pursue religious community, you know, however we kind of frame what wagering amounts to. So um, so so that's just a point there about uh, kind of the motives involved in the wager. But well, and you said you said in the, the paper, said, you, you, oh, yeah, you referenced mm -hmm. in the paper that there was some other work where the motives were where you go into or somebody goes into the motives more deeply or something. And uh, but but that's something, yeah. you know, because one of the common thought and maybe I'm just kind of all over the place with this. I'm sorry, Liz. But one of the things that no that I, that I think thought of as a criticism when I first encountered this kind of thinking um, and one that a lot of people do is, well, it seems like it seems like um, uh, is that the sort? It, yeah. And this kind of is the motive thing. But is that the sort of faith that God wants is a look? I don't believe mm -hmm. this, but I'm going to at least um, uh, look into it more or, or I, I'm going to commit to it, let's say, even though I don't yet like believe it um, as, as, a, yeah. as, a, as a part of my belief system. Um, you've kind of already talked about that, but is that what we're speaking of with the motives here? Yeah. I mean, I think if Pascal's wager is a matter of forming a belief, you're actually not going to run into that. And if there is a way to kind of take the wager, maybe you're really on the fence about it and you're like, I'm just going to take the leap and believe, then, you know, part of Pascal's wager is believing. And so we don't run into that. But what's okay. maybe interesting to think about alternatively is the person who is really 99% sure atheism is true and it's just really going to be it's going to take time for them to get to the point where they can think about believing but they're, they're wanting to kind of make some kind of commitment to god or kind of try it out or whatever um and you know i mean we can debate about is that person a true christian do they like i think there's actually some some looking at the bible <laughs> we, we, we need to do some exegesis here answering like how central is belief but i think at the very least that's the kind of person i would welcome in my church i mean i think that's awesome like they're trying to they're searching for the truth they want to be around a religious community um i mean i think that's a, a great step in, in a good direction and that's never something i would discourage someone from doing at all so it's a faith i think move. we can it's say a, that it's a faith yeah, move it's absolutely. a trust move toward god <laughs> and that that's a good thing there was a church there's a church i work with in sarasota florida 
that uh, that says you can belong before you believe, and that kind of captures mm -hmm. the mentality that you I just like that. that you just mentioned. That's yeah, beautiful. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. Um, so, and a okay. lot of churches too. Or oh yep. yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. I'm happy to <laughs> no, chill I was there for say, a second. Like, just one more point, and then we can move on. But like, they'll have the like. I don't know, during communion or um, maybe times of reflection, there'll be like a prayer for the Christian and then a prayer for the person doubting and then a prayer for like, you know, the non-religious or atheist or whatever person. And like kind of one thing that's cool is like, A, encouraging everyone to pray no matter what they believe, but also B, just like, you know, acknowledging like this service is going to be comprised of like a lot of people who are a lot of different places and that's okay and we welcome that. So yeah. I, I think that's really cool. Yeah. Amen. So, okay. And, and, you know, uh, I, well, I was going to say that a part of this for the apologetics junkies, and this is actually a chunk of the paper that you talk about where you talk about hybrid wager arguments in mm -hmm. which, um, you do use evidential reasoning and arguments like that. In addition to the pragmatic point of the wager, which is to say, okay, on the basis, okay on the basis of this cost benefit or risk benefit analysis and on the basis of these evidences, you should do this. And maybe that's not as precise yeah. as we want to be, but I think it gets the point across. And the point is maybe you're a person out there listening right now and you're 65 or 70% convinced. Uh, I'm, we don't normally think of ourselves in those terms, but maybe you, you have heard some, some of the good theistic arguments or the resurrection case when it comes to Christianity and you're kind of, okay, well, I'm just not, I'm just not ready to pull the trigger, but man, it's looking good. You might think about considering a wager and how that changes your, uh, your perspective on that. Maybe not in terms of the, um, intellectual, like the, the, well, that's not right, but the evidential side of things, but on the should side of things, what should you do now? Mm -hmm. And it, and I think it adds a little bit of, um, motivation, strong motivation behind it. But if I'm that person and I'm not just uh, 65 or 70 on Christianity, but I'm, I'm, I'm not sure uh, how to assess uh, these different religions. And some of them have like infinite outcomes that are uh, heaven for a literally infinite amount of time or, or hell, or some hellish experience for an infinite, infinite amount of time. Uh, and so if I have multiple religions making that claim, you've talked about that a little bit. Well, I can call away some religions, but how do we, how do we deal with judging these infinities? If we've already dealt with the, um, the different religions, is, is that something that more comes up in that realm than it does anywhere else? Yeah, good. So, um, so one thing the wager is going to do is it's going to privilege the religions that make, in claims about infinities and infinite values. So whether that's heaven or hell or both, um, or, you know, because I mean, you have the most to lose on and, those religions, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, um, yeah, I was going to say, you might even think there's infinite value in having a relationship with God. I mean, we can debate about that, of course. So, but yeah, the, the, the infinite religions that make claims about infinities and infinite values, they're going to be, uh, kind of privileged by Pascal's wager. So, um, you know, some versions of the wager that are skeptical of infinite values or think they just cause like mathematical problems and they do cause mathematical problems. I think there are ways to get around those problems, but some of them just say, well, let's just deal with really, 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 really big finite numbers instead. So that's like a way you can go if you're worried about some of, some of the math here. Um, but then in that case, the ones that have like the really, really, really big finite numbers or like the limits or whatever, those are the ones that 
um, are going to be kind of privileged by the wager. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, you had mentioned Absolutely. to me uh, before we started the stream that, that uh, you know, typically we get some of the stuff that we've kind of been talking about a little bit, but you said there are some objections that you don't hear as much and that you have responses to those. So I'm, I'm kind of yeah. out of my realm here. So, so you take it away in that direction. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So um, maybe I'll just say first, I'm going to kind of just like talk a little bit, talk us through um, the paper that Braxton linked in the comments. It's the fourth section. So kind of in that section, I'm like, look, like in previous work, I've talked about the many gods objection that I've talked about these like decision theory based objections about, you know, the mixed strategies and stuff. Um, let's talk about some new stuff. Let's kind of look at um, look at some more unique objections. And, you know, these objections, I will say they're not the ones you commonly hear, like in a philosophy 101 class or on YouTube, but I still think they're really fun. Um, and it's, you know, kind, kind of mixing things up a little bit of different stuff than what, you know, is often talked about in uh, discussions of Pascal's wager. So the first objection that I think is kind of fun that I have, I've heard, I think like maybe some philosophers have raised this to me, but it's like, it actually relates to what we were just talking about with the infinite values. And the thought is this, well, yeah, sure. So maybe religions are making these claims about, you know, infinitely good afterlives or these infinite values that you could get if you commit to God or wager on God or whatever. But what if there's like secular ways to get infinite goods? And I don't know if Braxton, do you ever watch Black Mirror? Or have you heard of that show? I will admit <laughs> on this evangelical churchy show that, yes, I have seen every episode. <laughs> I love Black Mirror. Yeah, there was just a new, I'm sure you've seen the new season that just came yes. out. Anyway. Um, I need more episodes so, so, than they gave me. Yeah, I know. I agree. It went by way too fast. Um, but like some of the Black Mirror stuff, I think is stuff that might kind of come up in an objection like this, where it's like, look, what if you can like upload your consciousness onto a computer and then live forever, like via that computer or something. So even if your biological body dies, you're still living. Or yeah. um, another thing, you know, chat GPT, big thing a lot of people are talking about now. Um, so when it comes to artificial intelligence, one thing that people talk about is what's known as the singularity. So this is a point um, like that people talk about, like a possible future where there's just like AI that then learns to uh, improve itself, that then learns to improve itself. And it's just like this like uncontainable growth in technology that just like is just like this explosion in computer intelligence and technological progress and stuff. And so, um, you know, you might think, well, if we can upload our consciousness to a computer or just like get these crazy advances in technology that are just like quicker than, you know, basically humanly imaginable, maybe we can get infinite utility without a religion. Maybe we don't need a religion at all to get infinite utility. And then, well, religion's not the only game in town when it comes to infinite utilities. So why not just like support this AI research or try to upload our consciousness to a computer um, instead of practicing a religion. So that's kind of the objection, which is like, you know, religions aren't the only ones that have infinities, these claims about possible claims about infinities. And look, even if, you know, uploading your consciousness to a computer seems unlikely, well, the wagerer might think a religion is unlikely. And part of the point of Pascal's wager is supposed to be that you should wager even if it's unlikely. So the unlikelihood is arguably a feature of both. So that's well, before, one kind of fun objection. Yeah. Before you <laughs> go on to that, let me, let me try my hand at this. So sure. think, thinking about that, one of the things that immediately comes to my mind is, okay, so I'm granting that this is possible for the sake of the thought experiment because I, I'm inclined to think it's not. 
but let's say that um, let's say that I'm a physicalist or something where it's more likely and, and somehow I can make it work in my head and it, and it's it's that way and I would be I guess I would be more like that if I was a let's say I was a naturalist or something so but it doesn't seem likely to me and maybe this is one of those cases where you just make really big numbers instead of infinity because to get the point across because to me it seems unlikely that even in a state like that you would get infinite benefit out of that because uh something will likely at some point go wrong uh technologically or the universe itself will run out or something before we reach yeah. infinity is that one of the things people say yeah yeah you can definitely say that and you can say like these secular paths i mean they're just i mean even if they're not a hundred percent likely to fail they're less likely to get you that infinite utility than the religious path and we should go for the higher chance right so the religious path is like this more reliable route than the secular path yeah no i think that's definitely a way you can go and i think you'll just have to you know we'll just have to kind of debate like is heaven more likely than these technological advances which i do Oof, agree with you yeah. kind of seem unlikely um and of course you know i think i think heaven is more likely but uh maybe the the secular person would be less convinced i don't know so th there's a debate to be had but i think that's definitely a response um should i should i say another another response too yeah give it to us yeah. we're sitting here yeah. worried now all of the audience <laughs> is worried we don't know whether oh, we geez. should choose uh elon musk or jesus so you've got to teach us here so my answer is both. Um, I actually think choose Elon Musk and Jesus. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's not. Yeah, but let me just just hear me out. So like, I think we can actually um, they're not mutually exclusive. Like you don't have to if you're going to be like on the team of people that are like, uh, you know, developing chat GPTs, you know, next few whatever versions um that doesn't mean you can't also be religious you can also support <laughs> these secular paths um to to infinite utility and be religious and so this is only a problem if for some reason pursuing um these technological advances is um definitely inconsistent with christianity but of course you can be religious and support ai research you can um be religious and um pursue these technological advances so so part of my answer is, well, this is only a problem if we have to choose one or the other. And I just don't really see a reason why we would. Um, if we do have to choose, I think I think your answer is is great, too, which is like, yeah, then we have to look at what's more likely. And maybe we have a really good reason to think the religious path is more likely to get us the infinite good than the secular path. But um, I think it's also just worth saying we might be able to just pursue both. And if you happen to choose the Elon Musk AI path and a thousand years into your stay there, You've got all this more time to consider Pascal's wager from that perspective, too. There you go. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I that's pretty it. cool. I, that, I find that really interesting. I did, I did not expect. I saw it in the paper just a while ago. But when I woke up this morning, I did not expect to be talking about AI in the Pascal's wager discussion. <laughs> but that's pretty cool. Um, yeah. So, hey, pause real quick before yeah. you move on to the next thing. Let's have another personal moment. What's your favorite kind of music? Ooh, my favorite kind of music. Um, I mean, I don't know. I feel like you're going to make fun of me, but I so... want to. I'm, I'm, I'm eager to agree with you. <laughs> well, OK, so I will say I have a Taylor Swift. I like Taylor Swift's music. I wouldn't say that's my favorite, but that's the one I thought you might make fun of me for. But it's in terms of you, my... you're the problem. It's you. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Um, 
that said, I, I actually really like kind of like um, like soft rock, like dashboard confessional. I was like on a dashboard confessional obsession for like a very long time. But um, like, you know, bands that are kind of like, yeah, like the more chill rock music, I think is yeah, a lot of fun. Me too. So, my yeah, favorite band cool. of all time is U2, and I listen yeah. to a widespread, but I just thought I'd ask you. And my, my girls have me as a Swifty now, so I'm yeah, yeah, listening yeah. to the so, new, more electronic album, you know. Nice. So we, 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 don't, we don't totally disagree on that. <laughs> We're yeah. actually kind of right. on the same page on that. So Unpause and Unpause. back to the wager. <laughs> okay. I'm squeezing cool. everything so, out of you I can today. <laughs> I love it. No, it's great. Um so another objection that I actually think is a really interesting one, um, not again, not as much raised on YouTube places, but I think an important one is um, this question of whether infinite values are always going to trump finite ones. Um, like, especially when you kind of look at it in this cost benefit way. So part of what the wager is like, you know, arguably assuming is that like, oh, like you can like have this chance of going to heaven. And that's like way more important than like maybe some sacrifices you might have to make in um, your earthly life in terms of being religious. And, you know, you, we can debate about whether um, you'll actually be happier as a religious person person in this life or not. Um, but some people, I think, would view it as a really big sacrifice, a big disruption, disruption of a lot of um, the things that they've been experiencing, the friendships they have, their family, um, their community, all of that. And so um, there would be this, this decent finite cost. And so the thought is, well, but look, there's this infinite good and it should outweigh that, that finite cost. Um, but at least when you think about this general principle, infinite goods always outweigh finite ones, it's actually not totally clear that that's true. So here's um, maybe a bit of a morbid case, but it will get the point across. Suppose someone offers you a minuscule chance, like 0 0.000000000001, um, that chance at, uh, let's say, going to heaven, if you're willing to be tortured for a trillion years. Okay, um, <laughs> you know pretty wow. depressing probably i think a lot of people have the intuition i wouldn't willing be willing to be tortured for a trillion years because that's really horrible uh, even though it's a finite good and that small chance of the infinite good would actually you know in terms of expected value we should say well small chance but times infinity so infinite trumps the finite um Ooh. okay so Damn. so yeah i know it's a it's a heavy case <laughs> um maybe i should have picked a different one so what's the torture yeah. i have to listen to taylor swift for a trillion <laughs> yeah, <years>? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have to listen to the the worst taylor swift album um no i don't know um <laughs> but anyway um i think this is this is i think this is an interesting objection because i do think to me it it, it kind of moves me to think okay do infinities always trump finites uh not totally clear um, so I don't know if you, you have any thoughts or I can move on to some, some responses. No, it's just a good, uh, counter example to if someone yeah. makes the claim that those are definitely always going to work, you know, that yeah. that's interesting, but no, I don't really have anything yeah. else to say about it. No, no, no. Um, that you're, it kind of gets at one of the things I'm going to say. So, okay. The first response is this, um, and I don't know that I, I don't really like this response, but it might resonate with some people that are listening. So um, when we look at kind of the psychological evidence, we're actually really, 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 really bad at reasoning about large numbers. Like, you know, your kids say a billion, a million, a trillion. And like to them, it's just all like really big numbers. I mean, honestly, to me, it's all like really big numbers too half the time, um, you know. So um, Daniel Kahneman's a psychologist and he actually 
did some studies or, or discusses, at least discusses some studies uh, that, that talk about this. And one study in particular, they asked people, okay, how much money would you pay to save birds? And then one group, they were asked about 2,000 birds. One group, they were asked about 20,000 birds. One group, they were asked about 200,000 birds. Um, and, you know, it seems like it's better to save more birds rather than less birds. And so it should be a lot better to save, you know, 200,000 birds than it is 2,000. I mean, think about the difference between having $2,000 and having $200,000. That's a big difference, right? Um, interestingly, though, the average, like, amount that each group said that they would give um, was for the first one, $80. The second one was less, $78. And the third one was $88. So they were all really kind of in that same it's range. And they no did not, yeah. Basically, yeah, there was no, we didn't see at all this, um, we should expect them to, you know, increase in proportion to the number Yeah, the of more birds saved. that are in danger, the more we have to help because right. you know, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Come yeah. on. I think that the people they got in this study were were into saving birds. So for what that's yeah. worth, may, might not be everyone's favorite cause. But <laughs> anyway, yeah. the point is the number of birds really didn't make a difference. And people were just like, oh, look at this bird that's covered in oil and it's drowning. It's so sad. Like, um, you know, let's give it, let's pay some money. And, you know, I don't know that I really want to pay like $100, maybe more than 50. Okay, 80 bucks, you know, like yeah. that was much more their reasoning. And so what's interesting is like in this study, the numbers weren't even that big. It was like two thousand to 200,000. It's not like most of us, I would think adults have, have a grasp of, you know, the difference there. Um, but, but I think what this points to is when we think about our intuitions about really, really, really big numbers, there's a little bit of a reason for, for some skepticism, I think. Um, and, and, you know, 200,000, then there's infinities, right? Those are, those are really, 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 really big numbers. And so, um, the first response kind of says, look, maybe we should actually just be skeptical of our intuitions about these cases um, because we just can't comprehend how good an infinite good is, like how big infinity is. Um, and so maybe infinite expected values should trump finite ones. And we like we just don't in our in our, in our minds, it's just hard for us to really get our mind around infinities. Um, that was a so really inter interesting point uh about the yeah. about the birds or the whatever it was because i looked at those numbers and i went back and i reread it because i thought wait am i seeing this right like really and then it made sense to me that that i might do the same thing and i wonder yeah. like how those people would like once it was pointed out to them like what their response would be you know because it's just but but the point that you're making with it i imagine you could maybe use uh that experience or that uh that that survey or whatever on a lot of people um, yeah. uh, for a lot of reasons, you, you could, you could use that information for, to make a lot of different points, but the point you're trying to make is no matter what the numbers are, or maybe not, no matter what, I bet it would change if we didn't use a number, but we said this bird will be extinct. I bet that might make a little bit of a difference. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. But you're yeah. not, you're not dealing with numbers there, right? I, I mean, you are, yeah. but you aren't, I don't know, but the point you're making with it is it, it, it seems to clarify that when we're talking about big numbers, we, we just lose track of what we're doing. Exactly. And so it might just be like, we all have this really strong intuition, but we should sort of be skeptical of that intuition because we know this fact about human psychology that, yeah, we just, exactly. We just lose track of what we're doing. So, so that's a first response. And like I said, I, I definitely, I think there's something attractive about it at the same time. I still don't know that I would be tortured for a trillion deers for a 0 0.001 chance at, at heaven. Um, so, so I think there's, 
there's ways we can salvage the wager even if we don't go for that first response. And and basically what we're doing is we're not making Pascal's wager rely on a general principle that says infinities always trump finites. We're restricting that principle to say, um, you know, maybe infinities trump finites, but only when the chance at getting the infinite good is sufficiently probable. So 0.000000, if your credence that God exists is really that low, okay, maybe, you know, maybe we'll, we'll have a different discussion. <laughs> but, um, you know, if you think there's, you know, at least some reasonable chance that God exists, Pascal's wager should have purchase for you, much less the, the person that's 50-50. Um, so that's one way to go is sort of um, restricting the principle that we rely on. Um, so it's not just saying infinite goods always trump finite ones, but at least they do in, in many circumstances or, you know, in, in quite in quite a number of circumstances, which would make Pascal's wager still apply to quite a few people. Um, and then I guess the final thing to say is we had discussed earlier that some versions of Pascal's wager, they're just, they just use really big finite numbers and they don't rely on infinities. And this is actually a decently, I would say decently popular in philosophy, not I don't know. I don't want to give, put a number on it, but a decent number of philosophers who defend the wager go in for something like this. And then w this problem wouldn't even come in the first G place because we're just using finite numbers. G so give me Mike an example. Like, like you don't have to give me a specific argument from somebody, but like with the, with the three trillion uh, years of being tortured with Taylor Swift uh, versus the, you know, the chance of an infinite good in heaven, like um, how, how would you characterize the numbers to, to make that make a little more sense? Or make up be um, a little so, more, yeah. So okay, so to clarify, for the second response, it would be saying, yeah, you shouldn't take that bet, but that's because, like, you know, some fill in the reason, but one candidate reason would be the probability of getting the the good is just too low, or the finite cost is just too high, and so we wouldn't again. There's always say finite goods are always trumped by infinite goods, but they often are in most cases. And here's the class of cases where they are. And then that that crazy counter example is just going to fall outside of those classes. But I'm cases. saying like, how, how would you come up with the numbers? Like, how, like, do you just make up numbers? How, how do you come up with the numbers? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's tricky. I don't know that I'm going to be able to say like, here's a number. I think Mike Humor humor has a paper or blog post or something where he makes a suggestion about this but like the idea is that the infinite good would have to be like sufficiently probable so maybe there's at least a one percent chance of getting it or something um or you could also say maybe the the finite bad could only be so bad and if someone's gonna say that being religious is the equivalent of being tortured for a trillion years i mean I'm not, I'm just not going to buy that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so, so yeah, I think you're, you're right to push the question, where do we draw the line? Like, where is that exact threshold? And that's just a really hard question. I don't know that I can like answer on the spot. Yeah. And maybe, and, about, and I think but, you maybe yeah. answered it if I'm understanding you right. But what I'm, what I'm saying, it, it sounds like, so if, if you're saying that people, it's so difficult to work with infinities that at some point we kind of have to make up some really high numbers. And I'm oh, trying to I figure out how do you make yeah. up those really high numbers? Like, how, do you just, I mean, it, it's not arbitrary. I'm sure there are some criteria for picking out where we go with this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I mean, I've heard people say like, just throw in an arbitrarily large number just to, to represent. Trillion it's, or something. I mean, it's almost like, it's not even necessarily, I think, supposed to be, this is the actual value of heaven, but it's right, just right. supposed to be a stand in for really, 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 really good. And then that way we can still do decision theory do with math. a number. But it's yeah. not like really, 
I don't think the people are going to make this claim like heaven is actually this good. And actually right, the right. way Mike Rota has a, a finite wager and the way he does it, I don't even know that he uses numbers at all. He just says, here's the values associated with, you know, committing to God if God exists. And he lists them all out. And then he's just like, well, look, this is so much better than this. I don't even have to put a number on it. You can just see that given you think there's at least this chance that God exists, you should commit to God. So, so there's ways to do it without putting a number on it at all, or you can put in a number, but you don't, again, we're not making a claim like that's the actual value of heaven. It's just a stand in to kind of help yeah, us. Yeah, I, get, I got um, it. It's a placeholder that we yeah. can actually work with. And I didn't mean to derail you with that, but I kind of wondered no, about no, no. it when I was reading the article. So it's good. Okay. Uh, anything else on that yeah. objection? I think that's, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, is there anything else that you think just absolutely has to be said? Because I said we go to questions and I also said mm -hmm. I'd get you out of here in an hour. So I'm going to try to get a couple of <laughs> questions in. But if there's anything you want to say that is just, oh, I can't not say this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think the only other thing, like, I don't, I would just say if you're interested in the kind of objections we've talked about, just go look at the article. There's a few more I talk about there. Maybe they'll even come up in the question period. But yeah, given time, why don't we just just move to questions, but encourage yeah. people if they're interested in these, go check out the article. So Cool. All right. Yeah. And of course, on your YouTube channel, I discovered when mm. I was looking for an image of you for the thumbnail that you have a whole playlist of like, I don't know, 30 videos where you've been on other people's channels and some of them look yeah. super interesting. I'm going to go check out. All right. Oh, um, okay. yeah, let's get to some questions here. So Brando says, uh, it's hard to read there. Um, if it doesn't come up, if annihilationism is true, is an unbeliever who already accepts the finite experience of this life justified. So this is kind of doctrinal, but to say, Oh, well, I accept annihilation. So that it removes the infinite, uh, penalty there. Yeah, I think this is a great question. I, I don't know that I want to make sure, I mean, I'm not 100% this is what he's asking, but it at least I think is very related to this question, which is, what does Pascal's wager say if annihilationism is true and there is no hell? So speaking of videos, I actually have a whole YouTube video on what if I don't believe in hell, should I still take Pascal's wager? Um, so to briefly summarize, um, yes, I think so. I don't think Pascal's wager actually depends on hell at all. Um, one, because going to heaven seems better than being annihilated. I think almost everyone would agree with that. Um, and I think if you say, no, heaven seems like it would suck, I think you probably are not being totally charitable to um, what, what heaven is, is truly like. It's a place where your, your deepest desires are fulfilled. Um, and so, so I think that's one thing to say is, yeah, if annihilationism is true, still, still seems like we should wager. Okay, well, let's take that one step further. What if universalism is true and everyone goes to heaven? Um, I actually still think there can be reasons to wager even if universalism is true. Uh, Braxton, you looked a little surprised, but here's why. No, I, um, I, I, I'm, well, I'm like, this oh, okay. is an interesting thing to talk about. Oh, cool, it's cool, like, cool. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. would have thought that would throw a huge wrench in it, but go ahead. It, it, no, I mean, it does. It's not going to be the same kind of wager, but okay. One, if you wager now, there's value to having a relationship with God in this life. And I think we shouldn't discount that. I think um, wagering now and, and sort of knowing God and letting that continue into eternity is better than, you know, living your life as an atheist um, and then going to heaven. So that's one thing to say. You can look at the the pre-mortem 
you know, pre-death benefits. But another thing to say is that just because everyone goes to heaven doesn't mean everyone's experience in heaven is going to be exactly the same. Some um, theologians like Jonathan Edwards have suggested there might be like levels of heaven or something, or people just have kind of different experiences in heaven. Or um, like one, I think maybe this is Jonathan Edwards' view actually, is that like everyone's capacity for joy is totally fulfilled, but people just have different capacities. And so some people do get more joy than others, even though all of all of our capacities are fully filled. Anyway, it's a way to try to make it so everyone gets something similar, but it's not all exactly the same. But that's kind of beside the point. The point is just that it's not guaranteed that everyone's going to have the exact same experience in heaven either. And so if there are kind of levels or, or different experiences people have in heaven, um, perhaps that could be another kind of motivation to wager. So I actually don't think that to endorse Pascal's wager, you have to believe in hell or you have to believe in annihilationism. I think even a universalist could endorse the wager. Cool. Um, Eagle Fang Apologetics says, can uh, one have faith without evidence? You have to have some faith to start with to even commit to some worldview to trust in. Um, in other words, I think he's yeah. trying to say you have to believe a little bit. Um, is Or maybe he's hitting at something you're aware of that I'm not. Yeah, I mean, I think this is a huge question and probably we could do like a five hour stream on <laughs> faith and evidence and all, you know, there's a lot of big questions here. Um, and so you have I'll just say, done like, streams on that. Yeah, I have done streams. I've done um, some, some stuff on faith. I actually have another playlist on faith, but I do think, okay, so one, can you just have faith with evidence taking that, you know, at face value, I think you can, that just doesn't always mean the faith is going to be rational. So if all your evidence says, this thing is false, but you're like, I'm going to have faith that it's true. That's possible. I just don't know that that's always going to be let, rational. Um, let me throw, let so, me throw an idea out there. Uh, sure. you, you know, Alex O'Connor again, uh, I heard him mention this uh, at one point, I don't remember where or when, but he was talking about seeing the return of the King and how at some point in return of the King, um, there was, there was every reason to believe that Frodo and Sam didn't make it. And mm. that it was all, all was lost. Like if you're running the numbers that we're at like 0. 0.001 or something like it's, there's, there's mm, very little yeah. chance, but it actually, since there was no better option, uh, the, mm. I mean, they could surrender. It seemed like the thing they should do is to function as if Frodo and Sam are still going to make it. Um, yeah. is that an example of what we're talking about? Yeah. And I think that would be a case. I mean, so, so one thing you could say is, even if the probability is too low and you either shouldn't or even can't believe it, you should still act on it. You can still act as if it's true. And we do this all the time. I think people miss this a lot, but like, look, um, there's a frozen lake and I'm 99% sure that the ice is solid. Am I gonna go let my little kids play on the lake? No, the, the, you know, like it's just way too big of a okay. risk. And so it's a case where I'm going to act as if the ice will break, even though I'm very sure it won't. So one thing to say is like, yeah, we can act against the evidence all the time. That's not controversial. I think the maybe more interesting or maybe not more interesting, but just a different question, I guess, is what about believing against the evidence? And I would say if faith is a matter of believing against the evidence, um, that wouldn't be rational. But in a case where you're like, 50-50, or the evidence is ambiguous, so there's multiple explanations you can take that would have different implications. In those kinds of cases, I think faith could go beyond the evidence in the sense that the evidence doesn't 
force you to have the belief, but the evidence kind of allows the belief. And so then you can say, look, this is the more faithful attitude. So I'm going to take that attitude. So I think, yeah, if, if that makes sense, I think faith can go beyond the evidence. But I would say that when faith goes against the evidence, that would be irrational. All right, I'm going to take one more comment. And it's just cool. more of an exasperation. I can't think of anything <laughs> more mundane than someone's consciousness uploaded for eternity. Now, that's something I thought, too. Like, what mm -hmm. if like we're assuming that this um, that, that this AI or this computer based experience or whatever is going to be like something we see in a movie and it's going to be like paradise. And maybe maybe it'll be like the perfect sort of VR because we're in it and we can't tell the difference. And it's all real. On the other hand, it might be the most hellish experience one could imagine you know i mean um, i mean have you seen yeah. black mirror like do you want to be any of those people <laughs> right i mean but for real <laughs> right yeah oh man yeah yeah you just yeah. made me want to do a show with you talking about black mirror but um no. <laughs> all right uh listen what i'll let you go i know you've got to to do some things but i want to tell you um one of the takeaways for me from reading your article and it's something i already kind of knew but but just saying it as advice to someone uh, or something to consider is maybe you're one of those people that says, no, nope, I don't like the wager because of blah, blah, blah. Um, and I don't like and I don't have enough evidence uh, for Christianity to get me to where I need to be to to believe it. The combination in a hybrid argument like we've we've talked about to have the evidence that you do have that gets you down the road, at least some piece of the way, and then combining that with a wager uh, really could give you the boost you need to just decide today, you know what, I, I do need, to, I should, should, I should do this. I should um, at least start maybe uh, going to a church where you can belong before you believe or something. And uh, hopefully that'll all work out. Liz, is there anything you want to say yeah. in summation? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess just kind of on that point too, like, not everyone is going to have a road to Damascus experience. Not everyone is just going to go from I'm an atheist or I disbelieve in Jesus to Jesus is Lord and Savior in, in an hour or in a second. You know, sometimes it's a much slower process. Sometimes it's a process where we're slowly being exposed to different kinds of evidence, different ways of thinking about the world. And sometimes it actually looks more like a choice. And I, I think that's kind of missed sometimes. I think we just expect this transformative experience where God is revealed. And I just don't know that that's realistic. And I don't know that that's what we should always expect. Um, I was listening to Molly Worthen's testimony. I don't know if you've heard of her, but she's a professor at UNC Chapel Hill, Hill who just converted to Christianity. And her her story is a lot like this. She's just looking at the evidence, looking at the evidence, looking at the evidence, um, and, and just kind of came to the point where she said, I kind of have to make a choice here. Um, and I think, and, and, and I think you're right that like, looking at the evidence, even if you don't know that that's going to get you all the way, then kind of thinking about these wager-like considerations, I think that can kind of move you to say, look, if God does exist and I make this commitment, that would be so good that it's worth it. Even if like, again, the title of the show says, I'm not a hundred percent sure. So I think that's, I think that's a good place to leave off. Excellent. Well, Liz, thank you so much for coming on the channel. I hope that everyone will go to your channel and check it out. And if it's the sort of thing they're into, subscribe um it's called phil is it still called philosophy philosophy yeah i i think the title is just the it's liz jackson 111 which is what i use for a lot of things but i do i have like on the top banner philosophy. that sounds like something my, hus my husband came up with that. confessional fan would come up with 
I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Rude. Uh, well, listen, uh, it's yeah. been a blast. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm, thanks I'm for having me. This was you. awesome. Oh, that's so sweet. Well, thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. We'll have to do it again sometime. Take care, and we'll see you next time right. on Trinity Radio.